0: Got a shot for the line. Tip the score! It's the captain, Bo Horvat! I
1: think, um, you know, the personal success is, uh, it really doesn't mean much right now that we're not getting wins.
2: 8.03 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in Hour 3 of the program. Brendan Batchelor is going to join us in just a minute here to kick off Hour 3. Hour 3 is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit them on the internet at campbell-pound.com today. Uh, you heard it coming back from break. The two best Canucks right now are the play-by-play man, Brendan Bachelor and the leading goal scorer, Bo Horvat. One of them joins us now, Brendan Batchelor here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Batch? How are you? Uh, good to be with you guys. Hope you had a good holiday season. Uh, we did, and Jason's back in the mix after missing some time away due to illness. So it's been a very exciting day here, Batch. I understand it was a pretty exciting practice yesterday for the Vancouver Canucks. Got a bit feisty out there. JT Miller's a winger again now. Break it all down for us.
0: Yeah, they did a bit of a scrimmage drill at one point during the practice, and. I think the message was that anything went in the scrimmage because we saw Luke Shen step up and lay a big hit, and and he was kind of hunting hits out there during the scrimmage. And Kyle Burrows laid a big check on Ilya Mikheyev in the neutral zone too. Uh, Jack Studnika was on the receiving end of a couple of different hits. So, you know, it felt spirited. It felt like a team that's starting to get angry about their lot in life. So now what's going to be interesting for me is how that translates to tonight's game, because, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to have a spirited practice, but if you don't carry it over to your on ice performance and, and, you know, string together a solid 60 minute game, then really it doesn't matter. And, You know, in terms of the line combinations, it feels like Boudreaux's going back to trying to load up the top six again rather than spreading out those three guys down the middle with, you know, Miller and Pedersen playing on the same line. So, you know, that hasn't happened in a while. It'll be interesting to see if that can kind of spark JT Miller a bit as he's gone through some of his own struggles both uh, on the ice and then in terms of the attention he's getting off it as well. And, you know, it's going to be a tough test for them tonight against an avalanche club that has to be angry because they haven't been and winning games of late, either.
1: Hey, batch is scrimmaging something that's done very often in NHL practices.
0: No, not really. It was that's kind of why it stood out. Is oftentimes they'll do five on five drills that are all about in zone or practicing on breakouts or or whatever it might be. But to do a, a full on scrimmage, and you know, it only a- lasted about fifteen or twenty minutes. So it, you know, probably not even twenty minutes, like ten or fifteen minutes. So it wasn't a huge part of the practice. But it, it was notable because you're right. Uh, other than like training camp scrimmages are not something you see very often in an NHL practice.
2: We're speaking to Brendan Bachelor, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we may as well talk about the main character of the Canucks over the last 96 <laughs> hours, JT Miller. It just seems like every day there's a new chapter, a new wrinkle, a new new dynamic. So yesterday at practice, Miller's now back out as a winger. After, uh, I believe it was Monday, after Monday's practice, he comes forward and kind of defends his own play and says he's thought he's been pretty well committed to a 200-foot game, and maybe that's why the offense has been lacking compared to last year. Then, both he and... Jim Rutherford kind of publicly acknowledged that there's been a lot of movement shifting between center and wing and changing line mates and what have you. And then we get it again, JT Miller on the wing. What do you make of all this batch?
0: Yeah, it feels like tensions are starting to rise within this organization in general. And Miller's kind of at the center of that, but you know, I thought Bruce Boudreaux was more, you know, blunt and honest than he's been after any game. Uh, you know, the other night, and then with Miller coming out and, and kind of saying, well, you know, part of it is I'm, al- I'm always on a different line, like he's kind of taking a shot at his coach there. um, And, of course, you're, you're right when you call Miller the main character because that's really what he's been here over the last week and a half, I guess. And, you know, it's hard to parse whether – that's deserving or whether it's you know a, a microcosm of the fact that lots of people don't like the contract or maybe a little bit of both certainly anytime a canuck player gets highlighted for the wrong reasons on hockey night in canada it's going to you know draw debate and, and be a topic of conversation but you know i, I think miller in his own right is having one of his worst stretches of the season, certainly in terms of producing offense. So, you know, could a move back to the wing and a chance to play with Pedersen who is having such a remarkable season be something that could kind of cure all the, the ills that JT Miller is going through right now. Absolutely. It could be, but that said, all of this is also happening as this group gets ready to enter what I would imagine is easily its toughest stretch in the schedule to this point where they've got Colorado, the defending champs tonight, then they go out on a five-game road trip, Winnipeg, Pittsburgh, Florida, Tampa, Carolina, all teams that are going to make it hard on them to get points. Um, So, you know, they kind of need JT Miller to find his game and find it now because he's a crucial part of what they're trying to do here, and if they want to sort of survive the next couple of weeks and keep their heads above water, he has to be a guy that is going to help them do it.
2: Walk me through what it was like listening to Bruce Boudreaux talk about his hockey team following Tuesday night's loss to the Islanders, and then the Bruce Boudreaux that talked about his hockey team on Wednesday morning when he met with reporters.
0: Yeah, it was a much more emotional Bruce Boudreau after the game uh, against the Islanders, where you could tell that, you know, he was still very frustrated. As I said, it's maybe the most blunt and honest that I've heard him discuss his team when you know, essentially saying we practice all this stuff, we show it to them on video, but I can't go out there and play for them. I can't go out and make them block shots. Uh, I want to win. And, you know, almost questioning uh, his team's desire and, and willing to commit to win hockey games. Uh, but at the same time, he's always talked about this. And I think, you know, this comes through in the media as well, where, you know, he's willing to criticize his team and kind of give it to them when they deserve it. But at the end of the day, it's a long season and you have to build them back up as well. And it felt like a a coach that was trying to build his team back up with the way he was talking after practice yesterday in terms of looking at the positives and you know trying to win the week which was his big message when he came in last year and the team was so far out of the playoff spot you know don't think about the fact that you need to be so many games above 500 to get to the projected point total you need to make the playoffs just think about you know we've got three games this week win two of them and then next week we've got four games win three of them and and so on and so forth so um, you know it'll be interesting to see whether that message can get through to this group or whether it kind of falls on deaf ears here and you know this is a big test for them coming up not just tonight but with the upcoming road trip and uh, you know as much as they've had some success this season and they've certainly had some success on the road as opposed to at home I think this trip is you know really going to show what this group is made of one way or the other.
1: I just wonder if that message that Boudreaux is saying like you don't have to get you know, back in the playoff race overnight, you just got to win the week. I mean, that was the same message he had last year, but it just seemed fresher then. You know, like it seemed more. Oh, okay, this isn't. This is a new approach. This is a positive approach. I'm just wondering if, if, if it, it. To me, I, 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 sometimes wonder, and I wouldn't even blame Bruce Boudreaux if he's just kind of like going through the motions at this point, because surely, um, his arsenal of coaching. Weaponry has been, um, you know, exhausted at this point. What else is he, what else can he do?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, and I agree. And and that's kind of what I came away from thinking about after the post game media availability against the Islanders, where you know, Boudreaux sounded like a coach that's running out of answers or has run out of answers. And when you're saying things like, Look, we practice it, we show them on video. They're not doing it. That to me sounds like a coach that's just essentially saying, you know, what else can I do here? And, you know, on top of that, he's used all sorts of tricks in his motivational toolbox this year, right? Whether it's been demoting guys down the lineup, scratching players. And I know because I see it in my Twitter mentions all the time. Yes, there are notable players on this roster that he hasn't scratched, um, but That kind of feels like a last resort kind of move. If you're going to move JT Miller out of the lineup or someone like that, you know, it, it doesn't seem like he has the appetite for that at this point, whether that changes going forward. I'm not sure, but, um, You know, in terms of Miller's on the wing, Miller's at the middle, you know, Besser's on the third line, Besser's on the top line. Even when Hoaglander was here, he would go from out of the lineup straight to the top line. Uh, It it feels like Boudreaux is, is trying anything he can to get this group going right now. And it's just not working. So we'll see if if you know, maybe they can get a little bit healthy here. You know, what what can Tanner Pearson do coming back into the lineup if he can get back in sometime soon? Although I know he didn't have a great start to the year, so I certainly wouldn't blame people that don't have a lot of hope in that being a, a big change. What about Thatcher Demko? When can they get him back in? You know, he might go on this road trip too, although I don't think, you know, his return to the lineup is imminent by any means. But, you know, I, I agree that You know, when Boudreaux came in with that message last year, I kind of bought into it, too, as someone that just covers the team. When I was like, oh, when you put it that way, you only got to win two out of your next three games. And then you got to worry about two or three games or four games after that, the following week, like that feels much more attainable than looking at this massive mountain that you have to climb. And as a result, the Canucks did turn things around and won a lot of those weeks down the stretch last season. Um, But, you know, you also have to wonder how much Boudreaux's message is being impacted by the fact that his players will know that he's in the last year of his contract. And with some of the comments that have been made within the organization You know, it seems clear that he may not be their head coach beyond the end of this season.
2: Here's how I saw it. Tuesday after the game against the Islanders, Boudreaux spoke the honest truth, and then Wednesday he had to speak to make up for it. That's just how I see it played out. Because what he said on Wednesday, a lot of it doesn't even make sense. He said, it's my job to find out what makes them tick and make them go. Maybe sometimes I've let that slide a little bit. So it's up to me to make these guys more accountable. Uh, He's already done that. I mean, we've had healthy scratches for Garland, for Kuzmenko. Brock Besser was on the verge of being a healthy scratch. He's done almost everything in his arsenal to try and make guys more accountable. You cannot coach or uncoach, I suppose, what Myers and Bear did against the Islanders. <laughs> I don't think you can. Like, I, I mean, I, I honestly. Do you think
1: they went over that in the video session? Like, I cannot overstate yeah. how important it is <laughs> not to to uh try and uh, pass through the front of your crease yeah. you know like it, it's just like it's peewee errors it's it's boys we're not going to try and have the
2: secondary assist on someone else's goal specifically the, the other team's like that's where i'm saying that wh- i know what the game is and i know how this works and i know that you know y- when you talk candidly oftentimes you're getting the tap where it's like okay now talk less candidly but i feel like the remarks after the game against the Islanders were a far more accurate portrayal of the issues facing this team. I, I phrased it as Boudreaux kind of went from a guy that's like, we've got problems, but we got to work our way out of it, to we've got problems. Maybe we just are a problem.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think his coaching mentality kicked in after practice yesterday where you know it's fine for him to say those things that are honest but that's not going to fix anything so as the head coach he's got to get back to work and try to help fix things with this group and that has to be his focus at this point because what use is is giving up if if a lot of those things that you believe about your team or that you said about your team publicly um you know are the truth and boudreaux for his credit to me has been an optimist or has tried to be an optimist throughout his entire time coaching this group, even when it feels really hard to do so like right now where everything's gone wrong for this team, you know, they're, they're coming up on a, a tough stretch in the schedule, but I talked to him pregame before the Islanders game, and he wanted to talk about how excited he was for the challenge of playing these top teams and, you know, how, you know, he, he wants his team to get up for, you know, this stretch and and these important games. And so you know it's and i think it's part of what's made him such a good coach throughout his career is he looks on the bright side he lo- he is optimistic he expects to have success i just don't know how many guys that are playing for him right now have that same level of expectation
2: Batch, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. Oh, before we let you go, have you had a chance to figure out who some of these guys playing for the Colorado Avalanche are yet? Because we talked to Connor McGahey, your counterpart, and he did mention that there are a lot of guys that he had to do some research with from the Colorado it's, Eagles.
1: It's as, it's as tough for for him as it was, is going to be for Ronaldo to figure out who his teammates yes. are. <laughs>
0: Yeah, by the way, did you see his whole statement about oh lots of clubs in Europe wanted me, but I decided to go to Saudi Arabia. Yeah, that's yeah. that's okay. how that sure. played out. Yeah, <laughs>
2: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right, exactly. thanks, Batch. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a good one. Thank YouTube. you. Thanks. That's Brendan Bachelor, play by play voice of the Vancouver Canucks here on the Halford and bruff show on SportsNet six fifty. Uh it'll be interesting to see honestly, um, what the next two weeks are gonna have in store, if only because of the opponents because um, it's been so difficult, especially for us, because we have the attention span of gerbils, but it's so difficult to focus <laughs> Don't on... Don't insult gerbils like uh, that. I know, <laughs> gerbils. They got their eyes on the prize. It's they, There's been so many uh, sideshows, so much drama that doesn't really pertain to the day-to-day yeah. that we've really glossed over a lot of the results. Like, I, I talk about... Because nobody cares anymore. But I talk about the Calgary and the Winnipeg games, as uh, the game where Miller smashed his stick over the crossbar and the game where Miller um, had a lousy back check and right. a lousy line change. Like, I didn't, like they lost 4-2 to Winnipeg and 3-2 to Calgary. Things happened in these games. But that those are the talking points now.
1: Because no one wants to zoom in on the individual games, right? By, like, uh, but
2: And I'm not saying zoom in on the individual games, but this is a... This is the potential to go on like a, a really long extended losing streak because the opponents are so good. Like, who's the worst opponent that they've got coming up? Probably know, like,
1: Florida in Florida,
2: Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh.
1: Mm, Pittsburgh's playing better,
2: I know, but they're still like on the fringes of the playoffs, yeah, and, okay. and Florida is too. Like, I mean, I, the point is, that's the point, it's a point tough is, stretch. is, the point is, is if the Pittsburgh Penguins with Sidney Crosby is one of the "quote unquote" easier games you're going to get mm-hmm. in terms of the standings, you know you're in for a rough ride. Like, and
1: they're going yeah, into this, yeah, but with this Canucks team, you never know, right?
2: Uh, I'm kind of starting to know. <sighs> Honestly, I mean, okay, so I've put it that uh, when I did that hit in Winnipeg, not that this was such a big deal or anything, but it was a fun conversation. It was Jim Toth. Yeah, uh, man, he's a great guy. Yeah. We have him on tomorrow. Oh, he's on. Oh, yeah. perfect. We got him booked. Okay, great. So um, what I what he he was like, break this team down for me because the Jets came into that game, which they won 4-2, yeah. as it, they were really depleted by injuries. I think they were missing about six or seven regulars, mm-hmm. including Nick Ehlers. And I said, well, look. The Canucks, honest, I'm not joking, and I'm not. This isn't hyperbole. They need to score five goals a night to win, and then they went out and surrendered four to the Jets. So right. you uh, needed the, that fifth. The premonition was tremendous on my part, really. Um, and then I said, if they get on the power play, they're kind of tricky to deal with. But outside of that, uh, it doesn't matter who's missing from your Jets lineup tonight, Jim, because they just bleed chances. Left and right. And then lo and behold, this Jets team, which had struggled a bit offensively coming into the game, and were missing a bunch of their more high-profile offensive guys, found four goals of offense. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought about it more and Which more. is
1: roughly, by the way, uh, what the Canucks' goals against is It's four. 3.86. Only two teams are surrendering more on average than the Canucks, Anaheim, and Columbus.
2: You know, we had a conversation yesterday during what we learned and someone's was like, do the Canucks have a shutout this year? I was like, God, no, 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 no. That's not even close to have happened. They, they've had five games, I think, where they've given up a single goal. Right. And then we went through it. And I know no, it's hard to No, you? no, no. That was Rutherford when asked if he had just Any given a year. shutout this year. Yeah. And then I thought, has there actually been a game where the Canucks emerged with a good, solid, robust defensive effort where you were like, yeah, that's how you have to play to compete. In the National Hockey League. What about that game in Vegas that they won 5-1? That was one of the ones that we talked about. And there was the one at home, and it was a Spencer Martin game when Demko was healthy when they beat the Penguins 5-1 here. Yeah, Um,
1: 5-1, yeah. That was when the Penguins were in the middle of, or actually kind of just starting out that dreadful run. How
2: embarrassing for the Golden Knights and the Penguins.
1: Yeah, so you're saying maybe two,
2: two games where you played Really well defensively, and when they play, close yeah, you're, you're, to 40. you're
1: basically picking um, bits of games. Like they had a good start against the Islanders,
2: yeah. and then so we, we we started to dig into some of the other ones where they only surrendered two goals. And it's like, well, the goalie stood on his head that night, or right, you know, they actually gave up a lot of great a's. I went to the game on the 27th, I want to say, against the Sharks at home. Mm,
1: when they, they won six two,
2: yeah, and that's that's a good home performance. I was there. The sharks had plenty of chance, plenty of great days. Martin was swimming everywhere to make mm-hmm. saves. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a six-two win. You're like, oh, that was a, a four-goal margin. They must have outplayed the sharks. Not really, and not from a defensive standpoint. Like they just don't have the personnel, or the concepts, or the structure. I keep coming back to the personnel because I keep watching it. I'm like, that well, get- and it's
1: but, and it's and it's everywhere too, right? Like the goaltending has not been good. No. This year, the defense we all know is not good enough and the forwards. And I think this is probably the most under reported or under discussed topic is like the lack of two-way ability among the forwards. Like PD is a good two-way forward, but after that, you're really, you're really digging to find, I guess Mikheyev has been a good addition in yeah. terms of two-way, well- but like. Miller we all know he's got his defensive warts but even Horvat like Horvat has never been a terrific two-way player he's gotten those assignments before mm-hmm. but mostly just because you know there's no one else to do it
2: well not that shot blocking is the ultimate indicator of a two-way forward but in that game where they had three shot blocks to the Islanders 18 the other night yeah um JPAT, shout out to JPAT, made the point of mentioning that um all the shot blocks came from defensemen, so not a single forward for the right. Canucks over the course of 60 minutes blocked a single shot. I also like rough how you mentioned that the two
1: players that you think are 200 foot players are possibly the two fastest players on the Canucks as well. Wonder if that has anything to do with McKeough and Pedersen. Yeah. Well, I think with Pedersen it's his instincts. Like I think he's that just helps. got really good instincts. It helps so, when you can burn though, and yeah, and yeah, Mikaev <laughs> is probably you know if you want to compare him to someone who is Yannick Hansen, right? Hansen was a burner. So he could be in places all over the ice. But I also think Mikheyev has got, like Yannick Hansen did, fairly good instincts for where you should be on the ice. And when you think about, for example, the Canucks penalty kill issues, so much of it comes from just like they don't know where to be on the ice. And, you know, the Canucks did have some really good penalty killers Mm -hmm. quite recently. When you're talking about Chris Tanev or Alex Edler, those guys blocked so many shots And it got to the point actually when the Canucks were really struggling that the amount of shots that those guys blocked was almost seen as a negative because, oh my God, they're going to have to, they're blocking so many of these shots. And remember I had that argument with Botch about it. I was like, listen, you will miss guys like that when they're gone. The ones who are not only willing to get in front of the puck, but know where to be on the ice in order to block those shots because that's a skill as well you know i think there was a disagreement there was kind of like a miscommunication when we were having that argument right and i was saying like you need those guys that are not only willing to sacrifice but know how to play defense know how to get in front of the puck and right now the canucks don't have it and lo and behold their penalty kill is dreadful
2: uh coming up on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 is what we learned uh halford and bruff version dogs version then humanoid version The humanoid edition is going to be important because we're going to pick a winner for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks and the Avs tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. Lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Keep it on the dial. It's the Halford and Brev Show on Sportsnet 650.
1: Now for my favorite part of the show. Well, that's a talk
2: to the audience. Oh,
1: God, this is always dead.
2: 831 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, SportsNet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari Difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura Dealer. Today, hour three of the program. We're halfway through. We're almost halfway there. Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers brings you hour three. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit them on the internet at Campbell-Pound.com today. Okay. It is what we learn time. Keep getting yours in. Hashtag them WWL and add a ticket emoji. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. If you want to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Avs play hockey tonight, we're giving away a pair of tickets. You can win that pair of tickets. You can go to the hockey game. 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. We have what we learned, though.
1: Yeah, I have one what we learned, and then we'll get to the listeners. Yeah. And hopefully we don't drag this on too long. Um, okay. I need to know... I learned that I need to know what's going on with U.S. soccer.
2: Ah, yes. This is the marriage of soccer parents going wild and a family feud playing Mm -hmm. out in real time. I'll try and explain this as quickly as I can. Greg Bearhalter uh, is, or was, that's a dicey situation right now, the head coach manager of the U.S. men's national team that just competed at the World Cup of Qatar. Greg Bearhalter. Greg Bearhalter. Earlier this week, Greg Bearhalter... Seemingly apropos of nothing, along with his wife, issued a statement addressing a domestic violence incident from 31 years ago when Bearhalter and his wife were then boyfriend and girlfriend. Bearhalter kicked his wife in the legs during a heated altercation. Okay, why did he do that? He said that somebody was releasing that information to U.S. soccer as a sort of blackmail slash attempt to tear. Him down, Greg Berhalter. Okay. It was later revealed that the people that leaked the information to the U.S. Soccer Federation were Claudio Reyna and his wife, Danielle Reyna, who happened to be the mother and father of U.S. men's national team player Giovanni Reyna, but perhaps more important, <laughs> best friends with Greg Bearhalter. And his wife. Yes. For example, and the wives were teammates before, right? The the wives were roommates. Claudio Reyna was the best man at Greg Bearhalter's wedding. Mm -hmm. All these people are now very important stakeholders at the upper echelon of U.S. soccer. Greg Bearhalter is, or was, the coach. Friends of theirs that played on like the '98 and 2002 World Cup teams include Ernie Stewart. A high ranking executive at the U.S. Soccer Federation, and Brian McBride, mm-hmm. another one. The issue is that all these people are in this weird, incestuous circle of elitism and friends and family and friends that are kind of like family. And kids who play soccer? For example, Gio Reyna, of course, coached by Greg Bearhalter. Greg Bearhalter's son is Sebastian Bearhalter, who plays for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He used to play for Austin FC where Claudio Reyna is the sporting director. It's super, (laughs) super incestuous and insidious, and it's very strange. Mm -hmm. What the big story is right now is everyone is saying, wait a minute, why are all these people at the top hierarchy of a national soccer federation, of a team that is ranked in the top 20 in FIFA? How is it that Greg Bearhalter got this job as the U.S. soccer coach when his brother was at the time serving as one of the highest corporate executives at U.S. soccer. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's very, very bizarre, but now it's playing out in real time because the allegation is, is that the Raines, the mom and dad, right. were so upset with how Greg Berhalter treated their son at the World Cup and then in the aftermath that they leaked this information as a sort of revenge slash
1: blackmail. And plot. then U.S. soccer went... God, this isn't just gossip. Like, we have to investigate this. Right,
2: because Danielle Reyna, who talked to Ernie Stewart, who's one of the heads of the Federation, she alleges that she was doing it as a friend to friend, doing it in confidence. I've known Ernie for forever. My husband and him used to play together on the national team. And Ernie Stewart is like, well, I am your friend, but I'm also one of the heads of the U.S. Soccer Federation. So anything you tell me, we have to go investigate. Right Now, it really gets into some gray area here where people are alleging did the rain has this information knowing that it would put their friend in a compromised position where he would have to investigate. Mm-hmm. And then of course have to air all of Greg Bearhalter's dirty laundry. Sounds
1: doubtful. I don't think they knew it was going to get that far.
2: Who knows? The point is, is that these are the situations you get when you don't have a hiring practice and a hierarchy based on your resume and what you're able to do. A lot of these people are in positions because of the reputation and who they know. Mm-hmm. And it happens a lot. Unfortunately, we saw the corruption in FIFA. I mean, there's a documentary about it. About It never was about who's going to serve the organization best. It's who knows the most people and who has the most connections. And that's what's happening with well, U.S. Soccer.
1: we'll see this, where this one goes. I, I don't think Bear Halter is going to get a new contract to be the manager of U.S. Soccer. It seems like he'll probably be on the outs and... The U.S. Soccer Federation is probably going to have to do um, a lot of... Well, the funny part is, is that they're like, oh, you know, Greg's still in the mix for the job. And I'm like, yeah, but he's not. He's probably not, though. Yeah. Give us a moo cow on that.
2: Ah. Okay. Uh, dogs, do you got anything that you want to get into here? I got the boot, Andy. You got
1: one? No, 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 no. no. Okay, let's boot. go, let's go right on. to Aaron and Langley. What we learned with Team Canada playing for gold at four... It sure would be fun to cap it off with a Canucks game. You could watch the gold medal game at the sports bar, then head downstairs to your seats. Yes, Aaron, it is going to be a terrific sports night. Lots of hockey to watch. First, see if Canada to get some revenge on Czechia. Mm-hmm. Something I never thought I'd say. Revenge on Czechia. No, dastardly um,
2: Czechians.
1: Uh, and I know that's not how you say it. Another gold medal at the World Juniors. Uh, and then the Canucks play the defending Stanley Cup champs from Colorado in a game that will be, frankly, interesting from both sides. I think how the Canucks respond after that feisty practice and, um, you know, a lot of talk in the marketplace. But also, I want to see how Colorado does. Yeah. I want to see how bad it gets for Colorado. They won, They've lost a few in a row, and they're on the outside looking in in terms of the playoffs. Now, I think most of us assume they'll probably find a way to get into the playoffs, and their record is still pretty good. But there's some risk right now. You know They need to get healthy, and they need to put some wins together because you, don't, you probably don't want to be a wild card team either. Here's a play for tonight. Whatever the total is,
2: go over. Go over. The Avs have lost four in a row. They've given up six to the Coyotes. I don't know how that happened. Four to the Kings, Hard six to, to the Leafs, and then they tightened it up and only gave up three against Vegas. So I'm saying play the over tonight.
1: Uh, so congratulations to Aaron and Langley who won those tickets and can go realize his dream of watching the gold medal game yeah. at the sports bar and then going to the Canucks game to watch them play the Colorado Avalanche. Goal the game, Gary Texan, in what we learned. The upcoming Canucks schedule is more challenging than me trying to get into my pre-Christmas jeans. Uh, yeah. Was there any weight gains, fellas? Like I lost ten pounds being sick. Yeah, I am. I am a a skeleton right now. You're very skinny. Yeah, I didn't go to the gym for two weeks, so (laughs) I'm I'm feeling. I mean, I'm I'm back now, but Mm -hmm. I'm definitely feeling. How much sugar did you eat over the holidays?
2: Uh, m- well, more than my usual. I went from the more buddy- than your usual, from, went, which is yeah, I, went, I, I went from the buddy, Andy the- is more like elf. Yeah, yeah, I went from the buddy the elf diet to the like the
0: diabetics diet. He <laughs> like still poured
1: there. the maple syrup on his spaghetti. We, yeah, yeah. we watched elf over the holidays. Oh, it's classic. Um, and I thought of you immediately <laughs> when he was pouring the maple syrup on his spaghetti hey, it's and chugging the two liter of cola or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, max in new West with the, what we learned, WWO, what we learned this week, I learned the importance of having some basic understanding of first aid and CPR training. My thoughts and prayers are out to the player that went into cardiac arrest the other day, uh, DeMar Hamlin of the Buffalo bills, the safety and for his whole family as they get through this. I hope this encourages all sports fans to take a little time to educate themselves on first aid and CPR. Let's all make the effort to look out for each other out there. Um, there has been an update from the Buffalo bills on DeMar Hamlin, Uh, I believe he's opened his eyes and has shown that level of responsiveness to stimulus, which is a huge development for him. We put this update out there a couple times yesterday. His uncle spoke from outside the hospital in Cincinnati and said that he had to be resuscitated not once, but twice en route to the hospital, once on the field. And then once again in the ambulance, I think that the more that we start to learn about this story, The more we're going to come to appreciate and honestly be in awe of what paramedics and first responders were able to do Mm -hmm. on the field because there have been incidents in the NFL's past. If I'm not mistaken, the only player to ever pass away on the field during play, to give you an idea of how dramatically the approaches have changed and the eras have changed again i i I'm almost positive that I did the research on this correctly. They actually had to call an ambulance to the field right there wasn't to deal one, with the when was that the seventies oh, okay so yeah. but still mm-hmm. um you're talking about training that happens I believe it's biannually for all first responders to get out there in these situations and do things like chest compressions intubation cPR and everything else. The bills you know I know that Kevin Everett was another one that. Uh, potential paralysis faced on the field. And because the first responders, one, have such a bounty of proper medical equipment and everything at their disposal on the field, but two are so well-versed in being able to do this, you're talking about taking someone back from being um, what would be the equivalent of a very significant auto vehicle incident or accident on the road and doing that on a football field and then being able to have the training and wherewithal to get someone to the field where he's now able to fight for his life. Um, DeMar Hamlin's still in critical condition in the hospital, but I, you know, I, I don't want to start trying to write the ending of the story, but just to look at what they've been able to do and how amazing the first responders were in this particular incident, yeah. I do feel like it's going to be one of the talking points over the next couple of weeks.
1: Wasn't that a bizarre dynamic watching as a sports fan on one channel, you've got... Canada playing Slovakia and Connor Bedard scoring that incredible goal to win it in overtime mm-hmm. but also if you were flipping back and forth you also had this awful scene yep going down in Cincinnati with DeMar Hamlin and I don't know, you know I I'm not going to feel guilty for cheering when when Connor Bedard scored like I was like wow that was an amazing goal and I'm like it was an incredible moment but I did feel like, oh, this is like, and I noticed a few people on, on Twitter, like, you know, I follow a lot of American sports writers, and they obviously follow a bunch of hockey writers. Yep. Um, and they're kind of like, I feel like Canada is watching a different game. Yeah. You know? It was
2: very much that. Uh, we had Mike Tannier on the program the day after. So, Tuesday morning, we came into the show, and like, you know, we're going to have to, a bit of an unprecedented moment where the Buffalo Bills released the first update on DeMar Hamlin at 2 o'clock in the morning Eastern time. And we were on the air a short while after. So Mike Tanier joined us in the immediate aftermath. Yeah. And he was saying, what you saw last night, because he was not watching the World Juniors, he was watching Obviously football. not. Um, he said, you were watching something play out in real time that was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Because they kept coming back from break, the ESPN broadcasters, and they had to do... The sky cam shot because you didn't want to have anything focused on what paramedics were trying to do on the field.
1: And the players were standing around to protect that right. view
2: anyway. So you're, you're, what you're saying is you're watching uh, the most sort of gravity. like it, just, it was such a very deep and unique and dynamic incident. And then you're saying the foil of it was these great celebrations from Canadian audience watching Connor Bedard score in overtime.
1: Well, let's move on here to some uh, lighter topics. Chris and Surrey, what we learned after watching the Canada game, I realized how much I miss watching hockey games that actually inspire positive emotions. That's a good point. That's a good point. As yep. far as if you're a Canucks fan, you haven't had many games where you're experiencing positive emotions in the last little while. All we've really had is the schadenfreude, right, of like, oh, yeah. well, the Leafs going out in the first round. Like Those have been our positive emotions, but it's been in kind of a negative way. Can we and take
2: a life of, lesson from this, perhaps, and we'll just have. watch media that gives you positive feelings, I think, should be the lesson. I watch four, Very, Don't
1: watch things that make you angry. I watch four yeah. hours of Mr. Rogers every morning before my shift, and that's
2: what get gets me through well, the day. Well, okay, look, I'll be the first one to say, hand up on this one. I've been fairly critical of this tournament and this particular iteration of it. Mm-hmm. Vocally, because of all the issues and scandals surrounding Hockey Canada, of the very uh, lofty pedestal that the broadcast partners and everyone else put end up putting people on because this tournament has become such an iconic folkloric thing. Right now, yeah. um, this is why this tournament resonates with so many people. The way that the Maritimes have just been so behind this team. And it means you can tell that the tournament means a lot right now in that moment. You can tell that that barn is electric. You can tell that this is what this tournament can be from an engagement standpoint alone, what it can be at its Zenith. And you kind of brought it up. I think it's in the notes somewhere. You said they should always
1: play the world juniors in non NHL cities like Halifax and Luke
2: Tardif, the, um, International Hockey Hockey Federation <laughs> president. He was speaking today as this sort of tournament closing presser. Uh, and he said the same thing. He said, this is meant as no disrespect to big cities, but you really sort of understand the, why this tournament is special when you play it in places like... I think Maritimes. Hockey
1: Canada got greedy, and they knew that they could go into these NHL arenas and sell them out and with high ticket prices until they didn't. Mm-hmm. Until the tournament, and frankly, Hockey Canada, lost a bit of luster... And I'm not sure when Canada's next going to host. It's Sweden next year, maybe 2025. I know the Americans are going to get one of these tournaments soon. Um, but if you want a biggish arena to sell lots of tickets, like I I think like it still needs to be a moneymaker for Hockey Canada. And that's the tough thing that they are probably wrestling with. They're like, yeah, it's awesome in these smaller cities like Halifax. Or I think about like... Imagine what a world junior is that Kelowna and Penticton were to share. Yeah. But would they be able to make enough money off that? So if you want it in a non-NHL city, you can go to places like Saskatoon, which is hosted before, and they've yep. got a relatively big barn there, and you could share it with, I don't know, Regina or whatever. Or Hamilton. They've got the old, they've still got the old Cops Coliseum. I don't It'll know what it's called now. Uh, first Ontario. But Yeah, First Ontario Centre. You could put it there. What about Quebec City? They got the arena. Quebec City's got the arena. I think that'd be awesome mm-hmm. to bring the World Juniors to Quebec City. So we don't know when the next World Juniors is going to be in Canada, but I, I hope they they kind of get back to their roots a little bit. And I know it's hard when you're looking at, like, we've got to make a certain amount of revenue, and you know, you're know you doing the spreadsheet and going, well, you need a big arena and this amount of tickets, and you need the population that's going to be able to support it. But I think what they've got right now in Nova Scotia, in New Brunswick. Like, this is the world juniors. Yep. And the fact that Connor Bedard is putting on this performance doesn't hurt us. Were
0: anything. you reading the comments from the
2: press conference this morning? Because that's essentially what they said. Yeah, they said I, I, the bottom line wasn't the big issue. They wanted to
0: have the vibe and the feel. Well, of, they needed of, to bring it back. Yeah. Hockey
1: Canada clearly recognized, like, yeah. hey, guys, I don't know if anyone has noticed, but our uh, Q rating is down a little yeah, bit. We're struggling and, a tad. Well, in the, in, the, in the tournament in Edmonton, I mean, largely because of the pandemic, was a disaster. Turn, well, that whole... The whole thing was a the disaster. Stop, they canceled it, and, they, and yeah, then they brought it back, and no really one it. really could have gone
2: any worse, to be honest. And, and the I ticket
1: prices were way too high. It's crazy.
2: And they, I know they got the storybook finished with Mason McTavish and what have you, but like at the end of the day, that tournament was a disappointment. Speaking of Connor Bedard, here's one from Austin and Langley. Hashtag WWL, what we learned. Bedard broke Lindros's record at the World Juniors. Now he needs to pull a Lindros, but come to the Canucks. Um, yes, this will happen. We've had a few this of these. This will happen. We've had a few of these. I don't know if there's any team that he could – like, this is just a hypothetical. I don't want to cast dispersions on the young man like he's even thinking this, but just hypothetical. The only team that I think you could justifiably hold out from was if Arizona won the first overall pick. You're like,
1: I don't want to go there. Right. You're sitting there going like I don't I don't believe in this franchise, yeah. especially if especially if somehow before the draft lottery, their arena thing had, falls apart.
2: Yeah. Or I don't want to play in uh, whatever this arena, mullet arena. I don't want to get dressed in my car before NHL games. I don't want to do any of this. Like outside of that, though, it's tough to what? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, I said outside of that, I think it's tough to even suggest the, the idea li- – again, we talk about – I was talking about the Ricky Williams trade mm-hmm. being archaic in a notion that will never replicate. I don't ever see the Lindros thing – Ever happening again, to be honest. No, well, why that? Not, not with that. Why not? I don't know. Will it, it into hasn't existence?
1: Because it hasn't happened in thirty years. But, but 30 we're seeing years. but we're seeing more and more young players take control of the situation. Take control of
2: the situation yeah. once they get into the Let's NHL. Let's be positive here. It'll
1: happen. I
0: mm-hmm. don't
2: know. I'm just saying if it hasn't happened since Lindros, I feel like maybe there's a reason for that.
1: Arizona would be the team to do it because there aren't enough Coyotes fans to make it uncomfortable for Bedard. <laughs> That's
2: the other part of it too, right? He goes. Back I mean, that was the
1: crazy thing. Like he he said no to Quebec. Right. Like, I, I have heard that they are a passionate hockey province. They enjoy hockey. Right. here. Yeah. Apparently. So, to say I'm not going to Quebec and then. Uh, is Lindros allowed in Quebec now?
2: Ever? Has he ever? Gone he has back? to
1: fight his way over the border. They banned him. Then <laughs> the Nordiques left and it's all good, right? Uh, Lenny on the Hill with the, what we learned. It turns out the Canucks do have a prospect at the World Juniors and he made his mark yesterday with a bad icing in the final minute. Was that DPD who iced the puck? It was. Is that, what the, is that the nickname? DPD? Yeah. He's a defenseman yeah. who's also No, PD. I know, I know. But yeah. I didn't
2: know the, the other Elias Pedersen was called DPD. That's what they call him. Okay. Uh, what I'm we not, learned. I'm not hip with the kids. I'm mid.
1: <laughs> Unsigned, what we learned, hockey has gone too far towards offense. There will be a trend to more defensive, detailed hockey as these run-and-gun teams start to lose. Okay. First of all, I agree with the sentiment of that text. But I also think that people need to understand that Defensive hockey, as in playing good defense, is not done. Look at the teams with the best goals against average in the NHL. First, the Boston Bruins. Are they having a good season? Yes, they're having a good season. Second is New Jersey. Are they having a good season? Yeah, they're playing well. Winnipeg is third. They've had an incredible turnaround under Rick Bonas. Toronto, as much as we all hate to admit it, Toronto is playing really sound fundamental hockey right now and they're winning a lot of games. In fifth place, tied with Toronto, is Carolina. Mm -hmm. Like the the you're still going to need to play good defense compared to the rest. You still need to be among the best defensive teams, regardless of what the actual goals against average is. It's the same in the NBA. Yep. Right? Like is there more scoring in the NBA than there was 20, 30 years ago when it was like the Knicks and the Pacers battling it out? Yeah, there is, but it's still, at the end of the day, it's going to be, unless I'm completely wrong here, it's like it's going to be the teams that, yeah, they've got a good offense, and they can play good offense, but they can still defend. No one's winning anything without playing proper
2: defense. Nobody. Nobody? Nobody. Not in any league. You have to be able to get stops at particular times, and oftentimes, the way that you do that is through superior structure, superior talent individually on the defense. And the Canucks don't have any of that. And it just it all sort of goes back to the Canucks, right? Yeah, the Canucks you just, don't have any of that.
1: And you just look at the rankings of goaltending? You look at the rankings of defense. And if you're a top 10 team in the NHL in terms of defense, regardless of what that actual goal is against, whether the goal is against is 0.5 or you know 7.8, if you're top 10 in the league, That's important. And right now, the Canucks are, I think we went through the stats earlier, 30th out of 32. Mm -hmm. You can't win like that. Not last, though. You cannot win like that. (laughs) They're not
2: the worst. Adam, the former bath guy with What We Learned, hashtag WWO, What We Learned. I learned that Alex Edler played his 1,000th game this week. His departure from Vancouver says everything you need to know about the club. He saw a sinking ship and promptly jumped off. His award for the 1,000th game is they finally let him play a net for a night. (laughs) Instead of a silver stick, you got a goalie stick. Yeah, like, like, yeah I've had it. Go in, Alex. We know you want to. Go get it, Eddie. They had a nice, nice pencil sketch of him. You see the four little drawings? Yeah. He, he was so young. Everybody wants to be a goalie. He was so young. Edler was mailhouse in that. Then- he's just still going. He's just still going. It's amazing. I didn't know how much longer he was gonna have in the Would tank. you rather Edler and Tanev right now than OEO and Myers? Yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was course. thinking about that the other day and then I started sobbing quietly to myself. The Chris Tanev <laughs> thing will it, it will <laughs> befuddle me. For time immemorial, because it just—I cannot believe that the 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 remember the Chris Tanev Memorial walking boot. Like he was just constantly injured, and you just assumed he was at the end of his rope, mm-hmm. and he really wasn't. I mean, he's been so good in Calgary. Just really makes you wonder.
1: Well, really I mean, makes you wonder. The big thing was that they never got the value for him, and he walked away for nothing
2: just the whole the way the whole situation played out it's crazy the way the whole situation played out honestly couldn't have gone any worse for Vancouver
1: but you know they wouldn't have won the cup without him in true. 2017 we'll always have that cup that was a good time
2: uh we got to get out of here for now but we will be back tomorrow it's a friday show tomorrow uh lots to get into but for now as i said we got to say goodbye uh signing off i have been mike helford he's been jason bruff he's been a dog and he's been laddie this has been the helford and bruff show on sportsnet 650